Appamata and its programs are supported by your generosity and your generosity and support makes such a difference. You can find a link for contributions on the website at appamata.org. Thank you. Uh, and uh, so I have a talk which actually consists of some readings from this wonderful book, which it's hard to see, but it's called, I don't know if it's, if it's legible. No, is it backwards? Well, I'll read it. It's called Landscapes of Wonder. It's an extended prose poem about, about meditating and about meeting life uh, from a Theravadan tradition, from the uh, tradition, um, um, well, the Theravadan tradition is, uh, the author's name is Bhikkhu Nyanya Sobano. And um, he appears to be American, I'm not sure. Um, and um, he's a wonderful prose writer, uh, as will, I, I hope will be clear. Uh, he talks about what ignorance is, something that was my focus in the short intensive that we had last weekend and the ways in which ignorance renews itself and, and comes back and covers us up so that we're looking through it over and over and over again. And he gives a very succinct uh, definition of what constitutes ignorance. And that is simply ignorance that all experience, everything that we participate in is marked by the three marks of existence, impermanence, Dukkha and, gosh, what's the third one? I'm looking at these pictures and I'm forgetting. Uh, devoid, uh, anatta, the, the lack of self, the, the fact that there's no continuing self. So who are you before your mother was born? Well, it's not a question that makes sense in the terms of anatta, I don't think, but, but maybe it does. Um, not only that, but he points out that the Buddha taught that there were three types of craving. And this, this notion of craving, of course, is, is central to dukkha, central to the unsatisfactoriness of our experience that we hover within all the time. Uh, and that there were three types of uh, craving that, that were present pretty much all the time for all of us. Craving for sensory pleasure, craving for confirmation of existence, um, which I certainly am noticing these days. And then even more so, craving for cessation of existence, craving for cessation of experience. And that's easy to spot if you're in pain. You, should, you, should, you don't wanna be the person who's in pain anymore. You don't wanna be feeling pain. And, um, the, the way these things fold together is um, uh, part of what I think is, the, you know, our ancient twisted karma. That it's uh, uh, when we say that the, the repentances on weekday mornings, we don't say, I repent being such a bad person. Boy, if God was just, he would send me to hell forever. We say, all my ancient twisted karma, I now fully avow. All my ancient twisted karma from beginningless, greed, hate, and delusion, or uh, greed, hate, uh, grasping, aversion, and ignorance. Um, 
we are just situated in those and we can beat ourselves up about them or not. But there's, a, there's something within Buddhism which indicates that it's better not to do so. And it, I, I had a thought while I was sitting, many, uh, among many this morning, which is that, that it's kind of like rock, paper, scissors, that there's craving for sensory mm -hmm. uh, delight, craving for ongoing existence, craving for um, the ending of our experience. And that those are always in play and that they, that uh, one trumps the other, you know? And that that has something to do with why the Buddha gave up mm -hmm. on uh, the practice of privation, why he stopped um, starving himself, why he stopped doing all those things that were extreme ascetic practices. And because he, he came to recognize that there are these other aspects of craving and that in fact, trying to beat sensory craving out of existence is just a form of the third type of craving for, for non-existence, you know? I hope that makes sense. Uh, so a little bit more from uh, Bhikkhu Nyano Sobano here. Um, See, I've already covered that part, sorry. So the Buddha talks about mindfulness and, and uh, Bhikkhus Jnana Sabano is talking about the, the possibility that we have to rouse ourselves and employ mindfulness in all situations to perceive simply what is there, to note calmly and objectively the rising and passing away of phenomena, specifically regard to the physical body, uh, our pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral feelings, uh, our mind or consciousness, our mental objects. And you will recognize those as the four foundations of mindfulness that the Buddha taught. And uh, he, the author says, the Buddha pointed out these four bases of understanding or foundations of mindfulness as supremely important. This path, namely the four foundations of mindfulness is the path that goes in one way only, to the purification of creatures, to the surmounting of sorrow and lamentation, to the disappearance of pain and grief, to the attainment of the true goal, to the realization of Nibbana, deliverance, awakening. Body, feelings, mind, and mental objects are always present, always available for inspection. So meditation can proceed whenever we set mindfulness to work on them. Mindfulness breaks down experience from great choking lumps to manageable bits. What we take to be solid objects and cohesive events turn out under the light of mindfulness to be dependent compounds of changing, changing phenomena, all without intrinsic essence or stability. A great many problems and misfortunes, therefore, may be alleviated by quietly paying attention to the elements that make them up. We need not soar off to the stars for fruitful truths. Impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, and impersonality characterize all aspects of conditioned existence. 
and remain always accessible to meditators, whether they are sitting motionless in a temple or jouncing along in a city bus. So I offer that as a frame for this beautiful poem that Peg wrote, I think 10 years ago, maybe, maybe longer. Uh, if you have the Akamata chant book, it's on page 62. It's called Inside a Moment. <clears throat> and the person who is mentioned uh, in the first stanza, Chosen, is Jan Chosen Bays, B-A-Y-S, uh, one of the leaders of the Great Vow Monastery in Oregon, where Peg um, had a, 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 a extended residency before taking mm -hmm. ordination as a Zen priest. Inside a moment. Wouldn't it be nice, Chosen said, to step inside a moment? I'm considering that now, how it, it would be like stepping inside a cathedral, a great space soaring above and around you, filled with light, with windows of many colors. And the sounds inside a moment would be rich as a symphony, a heartbeat, traffic, a sigh, a melting sound. The odor of something sacred, human and warm, a lingering aroma of a meal just cooked. Then too, the sensations of the skin against the air, against these clothes, a casual itch and a bit of tightness in one's shoulder. How full-bodied and wholehearted we would be. And how might we fall down in profound gratitude for the splendor we are witness to, our yearning, the grain of wood in the floor, the mysterious light of the street lamp, the moon, a passing car's headlights. The gods envy this moment of a human life, torn as it is by suffering, anxiety, impermanence, and yet inside this moment is timeless and complete. No worry left in it, no other place to be, nothing to do but look and feel and listen as long as we like. Could we ever grow tired of it? Did you forget to notice the dead ant in the corner, the subtle shading of the rice paper in the wooden frames, of the silent figures on the altar, the incarnations of great activity, great wisdom, great compassion, right here in this moment? Did you hear that? The refrigerator, the refrigerator turned itself off. Once it was cold enough. And a piece of paper rustled as someone turned a page. If you are longing for eternal life, please step inside a moment. This was actually written. Oh, this is a, a wonderful coincidence. It was 11 years ago and two days. So it was written on 2-5-2009. I didn't realize the date was in the, was in the book. So finally, one more bit of framing or one more bit of um, uh, prose poetry here. All earthly experience, this is back to Bhikkhu Jnana Sobhano. All earthly experience is made of changing formations, the ancient, anxious circling ducks, the lifeless fish, the flowering weeds, our own flesh and dreams. We resolve to echoing space, resolve in the sense of evanesce, into echoing space, emptiness, immeasurable oceans, and strange to tell, 
no one hides inside. Within the solid, within the terrifying or the lovely, there is found only the slow swinging bell of non-self, heard only by the contemplator. With a mind alert, alert and still, we can know the world without liking or disliking, without distraction. If we faintly perceive even a dangling fish, so this is something he has seen out while out on a walk. The marks of existence, we can, if we can faintly perceive even in a dangling fish, the marks of existence, we can begin to shed our own accustomed suffering because suffering depends on craving and clinging, on the myth that there is something that can be clung to. When the myth dissolves, what shall remain to torment us? Truly, our lives are temporary constructions, limited and conditioned by the law of change. And yet the more we realize this, the nearer we approach liberation. Pain arises from longing for a worldly permanence that does not exist. And if we experience this truth, we can begin to let go, diminish pain and open the dimension of the timeless. Impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, non-self. First, we read the message in characters of ink or stone or earth, and then we see through them, know through them toward the radiant reality beyond all places. There is no need to run after the marvelous, the plain scene of any moment being fruitful enough when we walk the good path of Dhamma through city or country. We should not despise the light on chrome or the rust trailing down from a nail in a wall any more than we should scorn a budding wildflower. Truth shows through all faces of nature. To perceive what is need needful, we have nothing but these frail senses, but they are sufficient if we direct them wisely. Then we have reason for faith. The river will flow on, the deer may live and prosper, and the ducks may fly out of the valley at last. Oh, if you have not had a chance to see this book, he is a wonderful prose stylist. And uh, I, I just, I, I love reading it. Darcy, one, one second. I also want to just point to something that I realized while I was sitting this morning while contemplating the, the words that I just read. And that is, I had something to do also with, with Dogen's teachings about what Zazen is. That Zazen is not about effort. It's not about directing your will to do things that in fact, Zazen is the unfolding of the universe as it goes on. And that by examining ourselves and, and just watching as thoughts come and go and feelings come and go, that we are giving ourselves in a ceremonial participation in that. And it, what, what occurred to me that was different this morning is that you, I mentioned before, you know, those, those three types of craving and the, the third type of craving, the one for non-existence, the one to avoid, the one to practice aversion, the one to get away from unpleasant feelings and so on. I stew in that all the time. You know, in, in case you haven't heard me mention that before, I would like to like mention it right now. And um, what occurred to me this morning was simply that sitting still in an upright position 
that part of me is also sitting zazen. That part of me that wants to get away is participating in the unfolding of the universe, you know? It's, I, it's, a, it's a meta process for me. There's a part of me that wants to get away and I want to get away from it and I want to get, get away from that and it's an endless chain. And yet, that's part of my life. And I, I think it's something that I share with a lot of people. And it, it is part of zazen. It is sitting zazen really more than the willful part of me that's trying to get me to not scratch my nose is sitting zazen, you know? So those are my thoughts. I hope it, I know there was a lot of randomness in that. I hope you'll forgive that, but that it will lead to something to talk about. So it's now 1027. And I would like to just, uh, Richie, if you can, we've got um, 25 people. So if you would open um, the uh, 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 some breakout rooms uh, and everybody come back at um, 1040, uh, let's say 1045. I don't want it to be too long. I don't want it to be too short, but just share whatever thoughts and feelings you have about how you can meet your life with openness and acceptance and what it's like to be in a moment, what Peg talks about, what it's like to accept existence in the, in the, in the path of openness and acceptance that Biko Yano Sabano is talking about. And just talk with each other about that. And to the extent possible, make it possible for everyone to have time to talk. I was lucky to be in a room with Connie and Joan and Rosemary who shared some very important things. And I hope that the experience of your breakout room was the same. Uh, and I, I, I'm confident that, that that is true. Let's now have uh, a service. I'm gonna light some uh, incense and then we'll do some chants together and close the day or close this part of the day for each other. <laughs> 